Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and mini skirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Calling all my recovering perfectionists out there, this is all for you, my friend. (laughs) A reader named Elizabeth recently reached out and she sent a message and asked, can you offer some advice on how to delegate or ask for help when you're a perfectionist? Woo! (laughs) I immediately resonated with that struggle because I tend to be a bit or a lot of bit of a perfectionist myself, which means I can also very quickly turn into a control freak if something isn't done exactly how I'd want it done. I've heard it said that you should delegate a task that someone else could do 80% as well as you should. That's what makes a good leader. Apparently, that's supposed to be encouraging, but to my perfectionist brain, 80% just doesn't seem acceptable. Like, that's a B. And I tend to be of the mindset that if it's not an A+, is it even worth doing? My fellow perfectionists will understand. I digress. Okay. Anyways, while I wouldn't say that I have totally overcome this struggle, I have learned a thing or two about having to delegate as a perfectionist. So if you relate to this at all, buckle up. I am going to give you four tips to doing this at least a little better so that you can begin entrusting tasks to others instead of trying to do it all by yourself. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. All right, let's hop right into it. Four tips. What I'm going to do is I'm going to list what the four tips are, and then I'm going to dive into each one a little bit. So tip number one, set up standard operating procedures or step-by-step systems. Two, start really small. And I'll dig into this one a lot. Three, communicate your expectations and your dissatisfaction clearly and kindly. Four, write this on a sticky note and stick it to your head. The sky is not falling when they inevitably drop the ball. Expect them to drop the ball. Okay, let me dive into each one of these. The first one is set up step-by-step systems. When I first realized that I needed to delegate some things in my work, but also in my house, like cleaning when we were out of town for over two weeks at a time, I had a hard time not micromanaging that process. Then I realized that that was probably because I gave up way too much control too fast. I basically handed off a whole process to my assistant because that's what I thought I was supposed to do, overnight. Like I just was like, here you go. (laughs) And then I ran into problems because I expected it to be done exactly like I would have done it. But on the flip side and to her, from her perspective, it was a lot for her to learn and implement the same way that I would do, especially that quickly. She still did a great job with what she had, but my control freak side didn't have the easiest time with it. That's when I realized two things. 
The first was that I didn't really give her a very clear system to follow. It was just this general overview of what needed to be done, but without providing her clear steps, like micro steps, honestly. And so that made it difficult for her to follow the pattern of how I would do something because our brains aren't the same. So that's when I started this big, massive document titled Jordan Lee Media Systems, Procedures, and Standards. I broke down every process that my team members will handle by going through the processes, by going through the processes like themselves and myself. It's kind of a hard thing to say. (laughs) Um, Some really are still kind of a work in progress though. And those areas where it's like the system is kind of developing itself because this is a new area that we're, you know, learning and discovering together. Those are usually what we will co-handle or build together until we kind of realize like, okay, this is how this system works. Um, But I want I, I point that out because putting a huge chunk of our weekly work into systems and on paper gave me a reference point and therefore gave me a lot of peace of mind. That way we were all as clear as possible on what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. And what I mean by that is that many of the processes, when I say how it needs to be done, many of the processes have a standards guide, which is essentially a checklist of items that must be checked off before making the process complete. For example, we have a checklist for blog posts that must be completed before hitting publish. A few of the line items that they have to check off include things like, um, are the images optimized for SEO? Do we have five to 10 consistent promotional graphics? Meaning, do we have our branded, like do we use our templates and do we have the branded graphics for Pinterest and for Instagram and Instagram stories? Has everything been double checked for grammar errors and spelling, you know, spelling errors and grammar errors? So if you have, let's say a small business and an assistant that you're hiring, or any other area of your life that you're hiring someone, go through those processes yourself and write down every little step along the way to develop a system that you can hand off, okay? And then test the process. Test it yourself. Literally go through it and see if it is exactly what you did and then walk your assistant through that process or walk whoever you're whoever you're asking for help from or delegating to through that process. Um, If there's another area of your life that you need to delegate some tasks, maybe in your home, you can follow a similar framework, but develop a process by mindfully going through the process you follow, probably without even realizing it, it's probably second nature to you when you do the task, for example, cleaning your floors or going through your inbox or whatever it is. But instead of just zipping through it as you normally do, carefully track every step as you do it and then test it. So funny story, when I was in third grade, we were given a task to, or a homework assignment and, or a project is probably the better word to basically pick a, an everyday thing or some, some sort of, um, thing that we like doing. So whether that's making a peanut butter and jelly or, uh, folding socks or something random like that. Um, and what our teacher had us do, I remember this so clearly, and you'll see why in a second. Um, she had us touch our, our, assignment was to pick that thing and then create an instruction manual for someone who's never done it before to be able to walk through that process step by step and do it right. Now, here's why this is so key. Because little Jay, when I was like eight or nine years old, I thought I'm going to teach people how to make s'mores. And then we had to actually demonstrate and go through our own process in front of the whole class. So I wrote out the instructions of how to make a s'more in the microwave because you can't have fires in school, right? All right. So I make this process. Well, I didn't test it first. And so therefore I didn't really know how long it actually takes to cook a s'more in the microwave. So I estimated and I wrote 
cook for two minutes, right? I did the whole process. I said, put a graham cracker on the plate, then stack or then put a marshmallow on top of the graham cracker, then put a piece of chocolate on top of the marshmallow, then put another cracker on top, take the plate and put it in the microwave, set the microwave to, you know, two minutes or whatever. So (laughs) I'm in the front of the class and I have to go through the actual process that I wrote down. Mind you, I did not test it. Turns out you should only cook a s'more in the microwave for like 20 seconds, maybe 30 at a max, but probably not even that much. And I cooked it for two minutes. And before I knew it, and I had to like the teacher made me follow through on what I, because I think part of the lesson was make sure you test your processes, ensure that this is actually the correct thing, which I didn't do. (laughs) And so this s'more catches on fire in the microwave. There's smoke billowing out of this thing into the classroom and it's still cooking because I have to let it go for like the mush or the mushroom, the marshmallow, like mushroom cloud. It just got so big and then it just burst all over the microwave. It was like, oh my gosh, it was hilarious. Or maybe I said three minutes. I don't know. I just had this extensive amount of time that was way longer than it actually needed to be in there, which basically caused a hazard. And then she had to, you know, stop the microwave when it got too dangerous. And that was embarrassing. So I learned my lesson the hard way. Test your systems and procedures. I just happened to learn it at eight years old. So all that said, I always recommend creating systems by actually going through the process yourself before handing it off to someone else or having to present it in that case. This has helped me so much because when I have tried to write down Uh, things, systems to things that I just naturally do without actually going through the meticulous steps and testing it. I often found that I would forget a step or two or, you know, just totally blank on something because they were things that I didn't even think to write down. So this is important because while you're used to doing something in a certain way, it can be so easy to think that others would do it that same way. To you, it's essentially second nature, but to someone else, it might not be so obvious. Make it as easy on them as possible by being as meticulous through the process up front. And I have found that I am much less of a control freak when I've communicated clearly and really focused on the small step-by-steps, which leads me to my next point. Tip number two is to start small. I realized from my first experiences attempting to delegate and failing miserably at it, I should add, um, that I personally do better when I give one small task at a time. Um, When I see that someone has mastered that small task one at a time, then I'm able to give up more from there. This was actually something that my business coach really suggested that I do when it comes to hiring. When I'm hiring someone new for my team, just because they're qualified and skilled in the area I'm bringing them on, he always recommends before actually hiring them not to just rely on the interview, but actually give them like a test project to actually give them a small project to start on. And so... All that said, it really helped me think, oh yeah, I shouldn't just go based on like, do I like the personality? Do they have the skills? Are they a great interviewer? Do I like it? You know, what I like working with them, but also like, let's test this out. Let's do a test project and see how they perform and see, you know, I can, if I can delegate a little bit and feel comfortable and like the style and the way in which they do things, because sometimes that can be very telling of like, whoa, we are in two different, you know, arenas here. The way your mindset is and how you would do this is so different from how I would. And you can't always get that from an interview. Sometimes it has, you learn by doing and seeing and experiencing. So all that said, it's essentially, you know, an acquired skill to delegate. And I think that's actually really important. We don't normally talk about it like that. Uh, we normally just talk about delegation as something that you're, you need to do, right? It's important. Ask for help. And it sounds really great. And it's a cute Pinterest pin. Um, but if you really think about it, 
I have found that delegating and giving up control isn't necessarily something that comes naturally to most of us. And therefore, when we give up too much control at a time, it can feel very overwhelming. We can tend to micromanage. And it's really something that we have to learn how to do. And how do you learn how to do anything? Little bits at a time. It's essentially this acquired skill. And when you take pride in your work or your home or in whatever area you're delegating tasks, it only makes sense that you want it to be done well and to be done right. So sometimes the best way to actually achieve that result is by starting really small, you know, handing off small parts at a time, doing test projects, seeing how that is, make adjustments and go from there. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14-karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50-80% to less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. I'm like, these are incredible. Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for- one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. 
I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Okay, tip number three is to clearly and kindly communicate both expectations and dissatisfaction. So on the front end, creating the systems and procedures with the standard guide and, and handing things off in a small way, those can be really helpful tools for communicating expectations and understanding you know, how to make adjustments. But I think additionally, inviting and encouraging them to ask you questions if they're not sure, especially in the beginning, can be really, really powerful. I didn't realize this before, but sometimes people won't ask because they don't want to bother you or because they don't want to appear to you as if they weren't paying attention when you trained them or showed them the first time. And sometimes they just don't ask because they're not comfortable coming to you with questions. You haven't made them feel comfortable with that. So the point is, it's on you to create this open door policy. Now, if the question asking on the exact same topic goes on and on and on and on for six months, and it's like, dude, I've told you this 14,000 times, that may be either when you make a change or... When you start to remind them, instead of just always holding their hand and asking, you know, answering the, every single specific question on the same general topic, that might be when you start to empower them. When you remind them that we've been through this before, there's other examples and they are capable of doing it and that you trust them. And this is hard. In the beginning, though, people need to feel comfortable asking you questions until they can get something down. But then at some point, they need to be empowered to do the job that you hired them to do, right? They need to be like the little birdies that fly out of the nest and you have to kick them out sometimes. You have to say, look, I, I've trained you, I've raised you, I've asked, asked your questions and, or answered your questions and you're always free to come to me with questions. But what I want you to know is that I feel confident in you and I empower you to have some discretion over this area because that's your job. You can make that call. You can, you know, send that email. You can make this decision. This is in your lane and I trust you. We've had enough practice, right? So at some point that has to be uh, a turning point and that's going to be uncomfortable for you too because they might make a call that you're like, wait a second. I would have not made that decision. Why did you say that? But overall, if nine out of 10 times they're making the right decision, think of how much communication back and forth and how much of your time is going to be saved from having to answer every single question, right? So in addition to communicating those expectations up front and reminding um, people that you are open for questions, it's also important to remind people of the expectations you have and even point out adjustments that you would like made if you're not satisfied with something that they did, right? So you opened the door to questions. You said, hey, I'm here to guide you. And part of that guidance is going to be me offering uh, adjustments or modifications to certain things that you do so that we can really make sure it's in alignment with everything that my expectations are, my standards, all of that kind of thing. And this can really be a super tough one for me because I never want to come across as bossy. Like I want to be nice. I want everyone to be my friend, right? But I also have to remember that sometimes when you're asking for help, and again, it depends on the context. If a friend is just like bringing you a meal after you've gone through something hard, probably should not critique her meal and tell her what's acceptable and what's not, right? Like there's certain contexts for this, but I'm talking about it in the context of work, bringing on, you know, some sort of assistant, whether it's in business or just in your job. If you have, a, 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 if you're a superior to someone, okay, this applies in many professional settings, especially. So I know that it's really hard if you are someone who's like, I don't want them to not like me, but you also have to remember like you are also their boss, whether you're paying them directly or you are their superior in the company. So all that said, though, knowing that you don't want to come across as bossy, 
I, I think it's also really important to be aware of what, what's the goal here. Okay. So I've learned the hard way after a couple of years that, um, it's, it's important to be straightforward for a long time. I had a hard time just straight up saying what I did and didn't like and what was acceptable and what was unacceptable for me. I never wanted to hurt someone's feelings, but in avoiding that potential awkwardness, I ended up making it harder and probably creating more tension in the relationship because the same things kept happening. And then I would just get in and fix whatever they did to my liking, which they obviously saw, or I would just get frustrated after like 10 things, 10 little small things that added up that I didn't really like. But then finally, um, you know, I would just be like, okay, this has been happening. We need to stop. Right. And that comes across as like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And then it actually makes it worse rather than just being honest and kind up front. And so This is actually something I was talking to a friend about over lunch today because she and I were talking about, you know, hiring help and these different pieces and having, you know, people work under us and work for us. And she was like, well, what do you do if someone makes something that's like 90% good, but there's just something small in it that you don't like? At what point, you know, do you just have to let it go? And I was like... To be honest, if especially in the beginning, I said, I'm pretty stingy. Um, I'm pretty straightforward at this point because what I've learned is that if I let that little small thing go and they're unaware that I don't like it, it's just going to happen week after week after week. And then I'm going to finally be like, okay, I actually don't really like this. And they're going to be like, well, I didn't know. Now I know I've been now six months in, I've been realized I've been doing work you're not satisfied with. Right. So that just strains the relationship more. Um, and I think in this whether you're a manager of people, whether you are an entrepreneur who hires people or hires, you know, uh, contract workers or anything like that. Um, I think it's really important to remember that you are also in a role where you are developing people. And so part of developing people isn't just like, you know, making them feel like they're awesome all the time. You want to be loving, you want to be kind, but it's also like, if you just make it like everything they're doing is perfect, they're never going to grow. And so they might be doing great work, but just to communicate something that you would prefer, Hey, let's make this little tweak and then it'll be awesome. Or I would really prefer this, even though it looks great. Like just making those adjustments on the front end will save a lot of headache and frustration for you. And you'll be able to lead and develop them better. So here's another example. When I brought on my content manager, my marketing assistant, who is like a social media manager, she really emphasized her desire for me to be super straightforward and honest with her about what I didn't like and what I liked and to show her changes that I would make to anything that she created, such as copy or graphics for social media. I really appreciated that she invited this in and it gave me the freedom to be a little bit more honest and upfront. And that therefore taught me how to do that with others. Then when she would send me a caption to post that she wrote and I didn't love it when we were just kind of in that early practicing stage, I would screen record myself making adjustments to her caption in the note section of my phone and send it to her so that she could see what I changed step by step. This ended up being so, so helpful. And I, as a leader, felt empowered to be more straightforward. And one day I had this realization as I saw how effective this was and that like, creating ways for her to visually see like, oh, okay, I see that she didn't like how this sentence was structured and she restructured it or whatever. And you can't do that forever. But in the beginning, when someone's learning your style and your preferences and whatnot, it is important to be meticulous um, and to be thorough. So I just had this realization of people can't read your mind, Jay, even on, the, on, even on the little things. And you have to show them what you want. You have to tell them and show them sometimes. And that makes it, people are not just audio learners. People are visual learners, right? So the more you can show them either by example or by screen recording and editing what they did and said, this is how I'd prefer it. Here's why, or here's why I made this change and then see it visually. It can be really, really helpful. So they may be doing great work, but if it's not quite how you would want it, you do have to tell them at some point. Okay. And the earlier, the better 
better so that you don't have any tension or any further strain on the relationship. I know it can be uncomfortable to point out something that seems negative and offer critiques and do all that stuff. So here's what I try to do. When I have to offer critique, not only do I like to try to show, but I also try to balance every critique with one or two affirmations, ideally more affirmations than critiques. And I don't do this perfectly. And the more like I've more that I build relationships with my team members and they know, okay, this isn't a personal thing. She loves my work. Like overall, we have a great camaraderie and relationship. There are times now where after I get comfortable with someone, I can just, I, I can go, Hey, I don't really love how this is said. Let's change this line and we'll be good to go. Or, you know, little things that I notice if I have a preference, but in the beginning, especially as I'm developing that rapport and trust with someone that I am delegating a task to or managing or hiring, um, I really try to sandwich stuff so that I'm gently delivering what needs to be delivered, but not in a way that it could get lost. So for example, if I like a photo that my social media manager posted as well as the timing of when she posted it, but didn't really like the caption on it, I might send her a screenshot and say, hey, just a heads up, this photo looks great. And the time that you posted it was perfect. But I don't love the line that says blah. I'll just, you know, obviously quote the line because it doesn't really sound like something my brand would say. Remember, our goal is to appeal to this type of person that our company serves and deliver messaging this way that we've talked about. Right. I'm filling in blanks here. There would obviously be context there. But then I'll ask, can we make an adjustment? You're doing great. Or can we change this line to say blah? You're doing great. The pattern I try to follow is something like affirmation, critique, affirmation, or affirmation, affirmation, critique, affirmation. Of course, I don't do this perfectly every time, like I said, especially if I'm in a hurry. But if I can offer critique or communicate what I don't like in this fashion most of the time, especially with people who are just learning my work style and trying to do their best, I consider it a win. It's usually received well, and I don't feel like a total brat for telling them this way. One other way to do this well is to have monthly or quarterly reviews. Let's say that you see something or notice something that someone did that you really don't love, but that you can live with. It's not a total deal breaker. It's not the end of the world, but you want to make sure it correct. It's corrected for the next time. So in that case, you could write it down or take a picture of it, whatever is appropriate for the situation. Then when you go through the quarterly or monthly or even weekly review, you can show them because you wrote it down, you can reference easily. You can show them what you liked and what you didn't like, and then work on how to make improvements and come to a conclusion on the best way to do that together and, co and collaboratively. This can also be a great chance to invite them to tell you where you can improve. You may be a perfectionist, but look, you're not perfect. Okay. So it's important to say, Hey, this is a two way street. Maybe the disconnect is happening because in the work they're doing, they didn't fully understand what you meant or because you've changed your mind a couple times. If you're a visionary kind of person like me, systems and creating those don't come naturally to me. It's kind of something I have to force myself to do. I can dream big picture and think, you know, big, huge problems and ideas all day long, but then getting into the nitty gritty of trying to write down systems doesn't come naturally to me, which is why I'm hiring an integrator. Um, but that's another story. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's really important to understand that relationships are a two-way street, even if you're their superior. And so, it's like the disconnect could simply be happening because if you have a, a personality where you're changing your mind a lot or you're changing lanes, this is something I've been guilty of as a visionary type person. It can be easy to be like, oh, new big idea. We got to turn this way or, oh, we got to make this thing. We got to add this component, you know, and it can be sometimes hard for other people to keep up. So it's important to make sure you're checking in with them and saying, how can I be doing better? Am I, have I been communicating clearly? Did I have, did I not tell you this when I thought I did? What feedback do you have for me? How can I make it even easier for you to do a better job? 
love that kind of a thing. So gathering their feedback and giving your feedback makes this communication pattern feel more like a two-way street, which makes for a healthier relationship. And when there's a healthy relationship, you can expect healthier results. Okay. Tip number four is to expect them to drop the ball. Literally, the last thing you need to realize is that the sky is not falling when they inevitably drop the ball because they will, and you need to expect it and prepare yourself for it. When someone is learning something new, whether it be a process in your business or in your home or in your company, they're learning how to do it usually like you prefer it to be done. That's kind of like learning to walk. Any toddler learning to walk is bound to wobble and fall down a few times before they really get their footing, right? This is similar. They may be a professional at the task or the type of work and have skills with it, but learning to fit it into your systems and preferences does come with a learning curve. I know it can be scary to delegate and risk something getting messed up, but here is what I've learned. Even if I don't delegate and try to do it all myself, there's still a pretty high chance that something will get messed up. I will drop the ball too, especially if my plate is full and I'm trying to do it all and juggle everything. Something is bound to slip from my control. When my husband first started producing my podcast, he did that for a while, actually. Um, There were a ton of moments I had to bite my tongue because he just wasn't doing it exactly how I was used to doing it. Granted, I've never produced my own podcast, so I didn't exactly know how it was supposed to be done. I just knew how it was done at one point. One time, he didn't have a chance to review an edited episode before it aired, and it ended up airing with a bunch of missed edits. He accidentally uploaded the non-edited version. Edited version That's a hard word to say. He accidentally uploaded the non-edited version, and people started messaging me after it aired, asking me why the episode sounded so unprofessional all of a sudden, and I just started to panic. I listened back to the episode and literally wanted to crawl into a hole. There were several spots where me and the guest had to start over and that never got cut out, which was then embarrassing for my guest because there was points where she was like, oh, you know what? I'm conf- I'm going down a rabbit trail. Can we just start this part over? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I would just ask the question again. Well, all that was in there. And I was so embarrassed, especially because that was o- well over a year into podcasting. Like it wasn't our second or third week or fifth week and we were new to this. It was like, We've been doing this a while and we've had many weeks where we've aired two episodes like we are 60, 70 episodes in. And so there were just several spots that were not okay. And I remember thinking, this is unacceptable. Like, this is not world class, you know, and I was just so mad at first. And I tried not to be mad at him. I knew he didn't do it on purpose, but it was hard not to express my dissatisfaction in a way that probably came off pretty sassy. Honestly, it just made me want to produce and manage and edit the whole dang podcast myself. I could totally do it better, I thought, you know, and that's a total lie. There's no way I could handle that entire process and create great content and manage the rest of what I do well, like writing books and coaching and speaking and everything else. No, it would all crash and burn because that's way too much for me to handle on my own. But in the moment, I wanted to reach for control and do it all myself so that that would never happen again, as if me figuring out how to do everything is a guarantee that it wouldn't go wrong. Like I'm a human too, you know? But then I remembered what one of my friends said to me when Matt first started working with me, and it was this. We were sitting there, she and her husband worked together, and she said, Look, this is going to be an adventure, and you probably have your way of doing things, Jay. But you have to let him drop the ball. Like, emphasize, you have to let him drop the ball. And when he does, you have to put the ball in his court to make it right. You can't just come in and start controlling him and fixing stuff. It'll hurt your relationship and it'll hurt your business. So I know it's hard to hear, especially as a perfectionist, but I'm going to pass on that same advice. 
you have to give them, whether that's your spouse, an assistant, someone that you oversee in your company, someone that you hire, you have to give them the room to succeed. But when you do that, as a leader, you inevitably have to give them the room to make a mistake and help develop them as well. Because the fact is, they probably will make several mistakes. And when they do, you have to make it clear that the mistake itself isn't acceptable, but that you accept them and you give them grace. And remember that the sky isn't falling when it happens, even if it's totally embarrassing or even a little costly. And then you have to empower them to make it right. I think sometimes we think like, oh, if I don't, if I, if I critique them, then, you know, um, I'm being mean. It's like, no, you're actually empowering them to make it right. If you identify the problem and then challenge them to solve it rather than you just coming in and controlling and doing it how you would do it. Now, if it continues over and over and over again, that may be a time where you consider making a change, right? There's got to be some sort of limit on this, but it typically helps me to keep in mind the net positive to the net negative. So if someone I delegate work to a certain task or segment of my work is succeeding and crushing it 95% of the time, but has a margin of error of about 5%, that's actually a pretty good ratio. Even if the same error or a similar error has occurred a couple times, like maybe one, two or three times, but she, she or he is doing it, you know, a hundred times in a week, then it's kind of like, yeah, the error has been repeated, but in the grand scheme, it's pretty it's pretty minor, right? To, compared to all of the times that there are no errors. This is something my husband brought up to me when I was so upset about this podcast episode. He was like, Jay, I'm wrong. I was wrong. I missed it. I, I own that. That's on me. And I apologize. But then he said, but I think it's also important to remember that, you know, I know this has happened like once or twice. He goes, but in the grand scheme of things, like look at my performance rating. Have I brought a better net positive or have I brought a net positive or a net negative to the podcast? And so we calculated it and we said there were 42 episodes that he had worked on and that he had managed. And of those 42, only two had ever had any kind of issue. So that meant that 95.3% of the time was a success. So he had a 95.3% success rate and a 4.7, you know, error rate or whatever. So when I looked at it through that lens and I looked at the big picture, I realized he'd provided much more of a net positive than a net negative to that part of my work even if the second mistake seemed so massive in the moment. So bottom line, no one, literally no one will always bat 100. So it's important for you to decide what you can live with and what you can't, where you can give grace, and decide how to empower them to fix the mistakes they will inevitably make rather than micromanaging. I know it's not easy, but look, you totally, totally have this. You are in the business of developing people. If you are a leader in a company, if you are a manager, if you are you know, hiring someone, that is opportunity to develop people. And so that means, you know, you have to be consistent with what you're telling them. You have to be, um, open and straightforward and empower them to, to make mistakes and correct those mistakes. Um, if it's in a relationship or a marriage, that's a little different because you are not necessarily like, I don't necessarily think one leads, like you're not, you're not above them. You're not their superior, but still in that case, you can empower them to grow, right? You, you're part of being in a relationship or a marriage is empowering one another to improve and to grow just like you would in your spiritual health or your physical health. And I think in your professional health. And so just keep these four things in mind. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a screenshot as you're finishing up this episode, share it on your Instagram story, tag me either at she podcast or at Jordan Lee Dooley, and tell me which of these four you really think you need to work on, or you want to focus on implementing or improving on next. So I'm going to read you the four tips again, just in case you forgot them. So the first one is set up 
SOPs or standard operating procedures or step-by-step systems for the area in which you need to ask for help or delegate. Uh, The second one is start small, little bits at a time. You don't have to give up everything overnight. Step three or tip, tip three is to clearly and kindly communicate expectations and dissatisfaction. And number four is to expect them to drop the ball and have a little bit of a plan as to how you're going to respond when that happens. Consider have they brought more of a net negative or a net positive. All right. Those are your four tips. Let me know which one's your favorite or which one really spoke to you. I'll see you over in the Instagram land. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I sound like I'm 90. (laughs) I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content. And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.